The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we get the opportunity to return to our study of the gospel of God as revealed and expounded in the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. We're going to go back to where we left off, verses 15 through 23. And uh, we've not been here for a while with missions conference and, and the Easter season and all of that. So now we go back and pick up right where we were in, Rev- in uh, Romans chapter 1 and verses 15 uh, through 23 this morning. And uh, we'll keep working our way through the scriptures. So uh, as we read, I'll, I'll just begin by reading 15 through, 18, uh, 15 through 17 but we're also going to take a look at 18 through 23. Now, as you're turning there, may I invite you back tonight. We also resume our Sunday evening services of preaching the Word of God in the last couple of sermons, If I Should Die Before I Awake, which have brought us to understanding the doctrine of last things. So from the book of Revelation, chapters 13 and a couple of other chapters, I'm going tonight to deal with before Christ comes, and then comes the judgment, then comes the new heavens and a new earth. Before he comes, the Bible speaks of the days of the two beasts and the false prophet, the unholy trinity of the beast of the sea, the beast of the land, and the false prophet. So we're going to be taking a look at that tonight. And if you'd like to join us, in fact, I would strongly encourage you to assemble on the Lord's Day evening, to give the evening sacrifice of praise. And we'll give a wonderful time of worship and time in His Word. Now look with me in Romans chapter 1. This is God's Word, inspired, infallible, and inerrant, the Word of our God that is read in your hearing. Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So I'm sure almost all of you have been caught in this situation. You've been given some news to give to somebody, maybe your child, maybe an employee, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker. But you have an obligation, you've got some news to report to them. But the news is mixed. There's good news and there's bad news. And so now you've got to make a decision, how do I tell them? Now many of us, in order to avoid that decision, you know what many of us do? Here's what we do. 
Well, go up to someone and say, you know, I've got some news for you. Uh, some's good, some's bad. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And then after we finish saying that, what do we normally say next? Which do you want first? In other words, would you take me off the hook in deciding this? Well, Paul has got good news and Paul's got bad news. And he doesn't ask us, what do you want to hear first? He made the decision inspired by the Holy Spirit of what we're going to hear first and what we're going to hear next. Good news, bad news. Good news is where we even get the word gospel. The euangelion, the good message of God, the gospel of God. You see, the apostle Paul is eager to come and preach the good news of the gospel, of how God has made a way to save sinners. And his way is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through him, but all who come to him will surely be saved. That God has provided that so that you can know that you have eternal life. And so that is the glorious good news message that he has. And, he, and we just read, he is eager and he is not only eager to preach that gospel, but he's eager to preach that gospel because he's not ashamed. So I am eager to preach. Now, by the way, why the so? Well, let me connect it back. You know, Paul wrote the very common way that you would write a first century letter. Who's writing it? Who are you writing it to? Uh, why are you writing it? What is your purpose in writing it? He has done all that in the opening 14 verses. And one of the things that he keeps saying and will continue to say is this, I want to come to Rome. I want to come to Rome for a very specific purpose, not to enact political reform, not to enact economic reform, not to enact social reform. I'm coming and I'm coming to eagerly preach the gospel. That's what I'm eager to do. I want to come to an, he's already been to the power center of religion in Jerusalem, the power center of culture in Ephesus, the power center of sexual immorality in Corinth. Now he says, I want to come to the power center center, the power center of Rome, economic, military, political, all the power is right there, this citadel of Rome. I want to come and I want to bring the power of God. I've come to bring to you eagerly. I've come to preach the gospel and I am not ashamed of that gospel. Now, Rome will try to shame me into silence as all unbelie unbelieving cultures do. We'll try to shame me into silence, but I I will not be shamed into silence. I will speak the truth of God's word in love, and I will speak it with charity, and I will speak it with clarity. But I'm eager and ready to come to proclaim the gospel of God. Boy, that is a great phrase he keeps repeating. The gospel of God. The gospel is not the gospel of the Presbyterian Church in America or the gospel of Briarwood, or your gospel, or my gospel. Now, we don't own the gospel, but it can become your gospel if the gospel owns you. That's really the question. Does the gospel own us? But this gospel, that's what we call the, the preposition of ownership, the genitive in the original. It's translated of, the gospel of 
God. It's from God. It's because of God. It's by the grace of God. It's through the Son of God. It is a Trinitarian gospel. The Father has authored our salvation. The Son has accomplished our salvation. The Holy Spirit has applied our salvation. It is the gospel of the triune God, and it's there to the glory of God. That's the gospel of God that reveals the grace of God. I can't get there, Paul says. God keeps telling me no. I repeat, in fact, he says, I repeatedly ask God that I can get there. Now, God is saying no, but what God's actually saying is not now. Because he is going to get there. and just It won't be many years later. He's going to go back, get arrested in Jerusalem, a couple of years in Caesarea by the sea. And then God's going to have him transported to Rome. And he's going to be able to preach the gospel as he gets an all-expense-paid prison ministry started. That's what's going to happen. But right now, because he can't get there to preach the gospel, he decides to send a letter expounding the gospel of God. Now, I don't know whether the gospel has taken hold of your life and you've come to Christ or not, but listen to me carefully. I hope and pray you are not ignoring the gospel out of ignorance, but that you want to hear about it. And Paul wants to tell you about it. So he starts off of the grace of God revealed in the gospel of God with this brief snapshot this brief sketch of the gospel with five distinctives. He says, I am not ashamed. This gospel I'm eager to preach, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for in it, and the it refers to gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And in that brief sketch of the gospel of God that reveals the grace of God to save sinners to the glory of God, in that brief sketch, he gets you five things to start thinking about. The gospel is definitive. See that definite article? The gospel. The God. Not a gospel. Not any gospel. Not their gospel. But the gospel of God. In other words, God has defined the gospel and revealed it to us in his word. We don't add to it. We don't subtract from it. We embrace the gospel of God that has a declaring blessing where he declares us right with God through the intercessory work of Christ who paid for our sins and gives us his righteousness and the transforming power of God. That's why we sing things like just as I am. You don't go try to get better. If you could get better, then you don't need the gospel. You can't get better. That's why the gospel is there. That Jesus Christ has come into the world to save the unsavable, if it, but the only way they can be saved is by him. And he has come to do what we couldn't do when there was no way. He's made the way, the truth, and the life. And this is a glorious good news that reveals that God did this not because he needed you, but because he wanted you. And he wanted you out of the love of God because of the grace of God. That's what this message is, that we preach the gospel of God. And it is revealed by God himself in his word. Not only 
is there, the gospel of God that is definitive, but a second feature is the gospel of God's got the power of God. Boy, I'm, that's good because we're dead sinners. How do dead people get to life? You've got to have the power of God. And then the third thing we're told is we got the righteousness of God. Well, that's important. Why? Well, when Jesus pays for my sins, then the doors of hell are shut. But the doors of heaven are only for the righteous. But my righteousness is like, the fil- like filthy rags. But praise God in Jesus, I get his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That his blood shed for me pays. And his drinking of the wrath of God on the cross, my judgment for all eternity, saves me from my sins and closes the gates of hell. But to go through the gates of heaven, you've got to have righteousness. My righteousness is like filthy rags. But when Jesus, you don't get your righteousness, you get his. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So praise God, Jesus canceled my ticket to hell when he paid for it on the cross. And praise God, he secured my ticket to heaven through his righteousness, I am accepted in the beloved one. And so the fourth thing he tells us is this gospel is inclusive. Jesus saves sinners. He saves rich ones and poor ones and white ones and black ones. And, um, and he saves um, uh, up and inners and down and outers. Uh, he saves those who are influential, those who don't think they're influential. He saves sinners, any and all, If anyone calls upon the name of Jesus, they shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon him. He loves to save sinners. That's why I I, I was trained in evangelism explosion, EE we called it. But what I love to practice is E-E-E-E-E. I got five E's. Everyone, evangelizing, everybody, everywhere, every day. That's a good one for me, five E's. Go everywhere. Let's share the gospel with people. Well, that, but, but there's another fifth thing, and that's this. The gospel is defined in the Word of God as, it's re, as the grace of God is revealed in the gospel. Secondly, the gospel is the power of God. Thirdly, it's the righteousness of God. Fourthly, it is inclusive. It saves any and all who believe. But fifthly, it only saves those who believe. The just shall live by faith in Christ. So that's, he's a sure hope, and he's the only hope. He's the blessed hope. Now watch. Paul has just opened up this glorious picture of the grace of God revealed in the gospel of God. My expectation is now he's going to really unpack this thing. I've got my thumbnail sketch. Now he's going to unpack it for me. That's what I think he's going to do. Maybe that's what I would do. That's not what he does. He then makes an abrupt, challenging, hard, bone-jarring turn from the grace of God revealed in the gospel of God to the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. You see, brothers and sisters, um, in some sense, I wish I could have like 12 hours, and we could take a couple of 
potty breaks, but I wish I had hours upon hours just to walk you through this book of Romans. It's so tightly constructed. The, t- the sinews and the theological sinews that are connected are absolutely amazing. But, you know, we got to go with this in 35-minute increments, and, and, um, and, and then you got another whole week to forget it till we get back. But, but we're going to try to do this by the Spirit of God, but I want you to see this. T- and Just give you one little, one little perspective on it. When he turns to the wrath of God, he is yet going to explain the grace of God, but he's not going to get back to the grace of God in his explanation until he finishes telling you what you need to know about the wrath of God from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 23. He's going to show us why God's wrath is revealed. He's going to show us the three judgments of God's present wrath. Then he's going to go to chapter 2 to show how the pagan is guilty. Then he's going to go to the last part of chapter 2, how the religious pagan is guilty. Then he's going to go to chapter 3, how the Jew is guilty. In other words, he just tells you, told you that he saves Jew and Gentile. He's about to tell you why he saves Jew and Gentile because he's going to get to chapter 3, verse 23, and the summation is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have no hope in your ethnicity. Your only hope is in Jesus. We're all sinners under the judgment of God. And when he finishes that, hang on, because now we're back to the grace of God on steroids in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and then the life of grace beginning in chapter 12. But right now, he's opening up this wrath of God to let you see something that God wants you to see right now. So would you look with me and look, read these verses with me, if you would. Chapter 1, and look with me, at verse eight, with me in verse 18. Four, four, why am I eager? Why am I eager and unashamed to preach the gospel of the power of God and the righteousness of God to everyone? Here's why. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. In other words, created and seeing his glory, they didn't do it. They did not honor him in worship. They did not give thanks to him in worship. What did they do? They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So what does he say to us? Now, let me just go ahead. Spoiler alert. Um, Full stop, full disclosure. Not only does he make this abrupt, bone-jarring turn to deal with the wrath of God revealed from heaven. 
Not only does he make the turn, but he will take us into subjects, I tell you, if it was left up to me, I would not preach, teach, speak. A lot of that's going to be next week. Uh, I am going to talk about things and preach on things that probably left up to me I would never talk about for multiple reasons of sensibilities. I wouldn't talk about them. But here's what I know. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And if it's in here, it's in here for a reason, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I do expositional preaching. That means i got to deal with everything as it comes up in the Bible and not pick and choose just what I would do if it was me. That's why it's so crucial. And he is going to address subjects unbelievably relevant to us that are hard to deal with but must be dealt with and must be understood so that the gospel of grace is understood. And so we, the depth of it, the breadth of it, and the height of it. But here's where we get started into it. Now watch his close reasoning. First thing is this. The wrath of God is revealed. Now Harry, why is that so important? Well, here's why it's important. If you have any Christian theology background, you know that initiated into eternity is a judgment day. And on the other side of the judgment day, those who are not in the book of life, the wrath of God, the eternal, unrestrained, immeasurable wrath of God for eternity is poured out upon all who have sinned against God and have not sought salvation in Christ. So when we think of the wrath of God and, and, and that wrath of God where God doesn't simply give people over but hurls them into Gehenna, the lake of fire, absolute isolation, outer darkness, no relationships, separation from God and others, and torment as the wages of our sin, the righteous judgment of God for our cosmic treason against the Almighty and why he made us for his glory. You know about that. You've heard about that. What Paul is not talking about is that, although Paul does teach about that. Now, Jesus taught more on that than anybody, that wrath to come. But Paul teaches, Peter teaches, and the rest. But what Peter is talking about, I mean, what Paul is talking about now is not the wrath, the eternal wrath of God to be revealed at the judgment seat and the lake of fire. He speaks of the wrath of God that is now. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, living life without reference to God as if we are God. All ungodliness and unrighteousness always attached to a self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-exalting life will be disobedience to God's word, unrighteousness. God's wrath 
is being revealed. Now, not, not unmeasured wrath, but measured wrath. Not sending away wrath, but giving over wrath. Not, not eternal wrath, but a temporal wrath. That God's wrath is now revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Then he peels the onion back a little bit further for you. What specifically is the sin that brings God's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness? And he names it for you. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppress is a tough word. It's a word that means there's something that is, that is it's not something that's inert. There's something, it's very difficult. It is the response of something that's rising up that you're trying to push down. It is the intentional gathering of all of your strength and abilities, all of the God-given gifts you have in the way God made you. And instead of embracing the truth, there is a rebellion against the truth, a suppression of the truth, a pushing down of the truth. Well, that would immediately, you would say, well, Harry, is everybody guilty of that? Yes. Well, Harry, what truth are they rebelling against? He says, the truth that's available to everyone. The revealed truth of God that is available to all of humanity. And that's the truth of who God is revealed in the creation. Would you go back with me? Just follow it with me. I want to make sure you're with me on this. So he says that for what, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Nobody has an information um, deficit. God has revealed himself to all of us in creation. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has shown what about himself? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived when, ever since the creation of the world. The majesty, glory, power, beauty of the creator is displayed in the creation. The creation is his sounding board. The creation is his microphone. The creation is his footprint. The creation is his handiwork. The creation is his fingerprint. What do we do with that information with our sin nature? We suppress it. We push it down. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is evident ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they who suppress the truth, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, you're born with the testimony of God shouting from creation, and you're born internally knowing the reality of God. Those baptisms right over here, can I tell you two things about these covenant children? Two things. Number one, they're not atheists. You don't meet five-year-old atheists. They'll have to learn to be an atheist. 
Secondly, they have a sin nature whereby they would like to be an atheist. They don't start off that way. We're born made in the image of God, surrounded by the testimony of God. And it's not a childish faith. It is a childlike faith. But we also have, that's why I always tell people, these are covenant vipers in diapers. Because they also have a sin nature. They're born with a sin nature. It's really all about me, not all about God. That's why I love to teach catechism to children. What is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever because I know internally they're trying to write another catechism. What's the chief end of God? Me. So I'll invent the God that accomplishes what I really want to believe. And what do you do with the information from God? We suppress it. There is the glorious testimony of who God is all around us. I mean, I cut the end of my finger off a couple of months ago. They sewed it back on. Do you know why that worked? Because from the time I cut my finger, uh, there were 27 things that had to happen within a second. So, pardon me, I can't believe in evolution. Those 27 things had to be there from the time of the creation because if they weren't, what would have happened to everybody while they were evolving? They would have died. So I know there is a God. I see the intricacies of the leaf. I see the majesty of the tree. I see the glory of what he plants that he brings up. I see all of the, I see the cycle, the hydrological cycle that the, that the rivers empty into the oceans that come into the clouds as explained in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes and then rain back again to give us the rivers. I see the glory of God as he sits upon the I quote from Job, the circle of the earth. I know that God has revealed who he is in this glorious creation. But we will do everything to suppress it. Now, what, do, what happens when you suppress the truth because of the wrath of God? You don't quit thinking. You become futile in your thinking. Would you go back with me one more time? Just one more time. Would you go back with me? Notice what it says. As they suppress the truth in righteousness, they don't quit thinking. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they what? Became futile in their thinking. And their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Professing to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and the birds and animals and, and um, creeping things. In other words, he says, he says that when you suppress the truth of who God is, you don't quit thinking, you just start. I like what one Baptist preacher said one time, you just start doing think, stinking thinking, futile thinking you then embrace absurdity. You then embark professing to be wise, they become fools. You then embark 
on a sophisticated case and on a sophisticated journey into imbecility and absurdity. It's not that you quit thinking. It's that you'll think anything and everything in order not to think what God has revealed. Become futile in the thinking. And the reason is not your mind problem. The reason is your heart problem. The heart is darkened. That's the reason. That's what he's telling us in the text. And there's something else you do. When you suppress who God is and why God made you for his glory, you don't become irreligious. And you don't become a non-worshipper. You will always believe and worship. But instead of worshiping the one true and living God, you will not honor him or give thanks, which is what worship is. We came today to honor our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer through the preeminence of Christ and give him thanks who made us, who saves us, who gives us our breath and sustains us. And he made us for his glory He saved us to the praise of his glorious grace. And he sustains us so that with every breath we might give him glory. That's what he has done for us and in us. And when you suppress him and the worship to him, you don't become a non-worshipper. You become an idolater. You don't become irreligious. You embrace the absurdity of man-made religions. And their idolatry. Don't you love the way the prophet says it? The prophet looks at our idolatry and he says, it's amazing what we believe. He says, you take a piece of wood, you cut it and build a fire to cook your food. Then you cut it again to build a house to live in. And what's left over, you shape it and you bow down and you worship it. How absurd and insane is that? Did you know it doesn't matter what primitive tribe has been found? They all have a system of a week. They all have holy days. They all have marriages. They all have families. But because of sin nature, the marriages are perverted. The families are perverted. The weeks are perverted. And the religion of the holy days are perverted. And you may be sitting there thinking, oh my, I'm so glad I'm not in one of those primitive tribes. Really? You want to take a look at our paganism? Because we don't honor God who is distinct from his creation. We attack every distinction he puts in his creation. We call light darkness. Amazing. Killing the preborn is good. Killing the unwanted and the imperfect is called good. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. You want to see what we've done to marriage? Do you want to see what we've done to the family? Do you want to see what we've done to the sanity of God and gender, male and female? He made them in his image. Do you want to see what we have done? in our sophisticated journey into insanity, imbecility, and absurdity. And the answer, 
The answer is not in a sociological or demographic tool to cut back on the absurdity. The answer is in the gospel of God that goes at the root, and that's the heart. There's the answer. The answer isn't nibbling around on the edges. The answer isn't in the next election. The answer is not in some economic reform. The answer to this issue is found in the gospel of God, laying hold of sinners and rescuing them from their sin and the wrath of God through Jesus, who takes away their sin and who endured the wrath of God for their sin and gives us not only a new record, but a new heart. There, God goes to the root. That's why Paul wants you to see the wrath of God as he lifts up before you the grace of God in the gospel of God. So here's your takeaway, and I'll just close in prayer with you. There is no lack of information for the priority of divine adoration. In other words, God made you for his glory. There's no lack of information. Folks, you live, I, my son calls me periodically and says, Dad, there's a movie we need to see, and we need to see it IMAX. I said, well, please tell me what is IMAX. I'm well aware it's going to cost me more because you've suggested it, but I want to know what it is. He said, Dad, it's great. It just surrounds you. I said, like a cyclorama. Well, you know, dead almost. But see, folks, listen. When you suppress the truth and unrighteousness, there's no lack of information. You are surrounded in the divine cyclorama IMAX. And not only that, you've got a surround system of sound that is unbelievable. The heavens are shouting the glory of God. Day after day, night after night, their speech pours forth. There is the surround sound of God. You live in the cyclorama theater of God's glory and majesty. But watch our insanity. As we would deny the creator and his glory. Oh no, you see, Harry, once there was nothing... And somehow nothing produced something. And then the something says, let's divide. And then we'll get back together and produce some more somethings. Harry, then we, I mean, we then come about. I mean, Harry, <laughs> I say, whoa, I'm just a cosmic accident. I'm a mutated germ, then I'm thankfully a couple of mutations I didn't end up a rock. I'm basically a burp from a gaseous heap. The flight into absurdity, even when we're able to see the intricacies of our DNA in one simple cell, is astonishing. We will go to any length to suppress the truth of God. And for every young person that's in here, when you go to that classroom, junior high, senior high, I don't care which one it is, when you go to that college classroom, that graduate classroom, remember something. What is being taught to suppress this truth is absurd. 
It is insane. It is a flight into imbecility. Now, you don't act with arrogance. You act with grace because that's what you and I believed until God's grace rescued us. And then when God's grace rescued us, we now see the truth of who God is as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. But you're in a place, they have no sane answer for who you are, how you got here, and what's wrong. Everybody knows something's wrong, but they have no sane answer for what's wrong. I mean, right now, it's the government isn't powerful enough to own everything and distribute it. That's the current answer. There have been other answers as well. The insanity of everything that the world wants to bring, you know that. You know that you're made in the image of God. You know the problem. It is sin. And you know the solution is a God who loves and saves sinners, who takes them just as I am, but never leaves them as they are and changes them because he not only has declarative blessings, the gospel has transforming blessings to change us from faith to faith as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So I please tell you, be, join the company of the gospel company and fellowship of the eager and unashamed. It makes sense. It makes sense. But man will say no to the worship of God through the sinful delusion of self-exaltation. Or maybe like Carl Sagan. Here's a good one. How'd you get here? How did we get here, Carl? Well, my friend, there's the cosmos. The cosmos. May I quote him? That's all there is. That's all there was. That's all there ever will be. I say, no, actually there was a time the cosmos wasn't. But I can take you to Revelation 4 and introduce you to the God who was, who is, and is to come. And when he spoke, space, time, and matter, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That makes sense. The design now makes sense. The order makes sense. The glory makes sense. The diversity. It even makes sense made in his image that I have the ability to appreciate it and give him glory for it. That's what makes sense. Instead of the unholy trinity, space, time, and matter. If you give matter, which we don't know where it came from, enough space and time, you get this. Well, uh, there, there really is a lot more I'd want to say, but I'm not. I'm going to edit it. Here's what, here's, here's what I just say to you. The problem is not our mind, the lack of information. The heart of our problem is the problem with the heart, and God's solution is the glorious gospel of God. So here's some thoughts to walk away with. God's wrath now is a gracious warning of God's wrath to come. The wrath that is now revealed is warning us of the wrath to be revealed. And therefore, in this day, flee to him who will save you in this day. This day, make Jesus your Lord and Savior, and then know that he's your life, and he will bring you to be with him in that day written in the Lamb's book of life. Secondly, your second, God's wrath now gives us over. God's grace is a takeover. You know, some of you know I like Chip and Joanna, fixer-uppers, And a guy said to me one time, Harry, why don't you do a sermon on the work of the gospel doing an extreme makeover? 
And I said, well, I would if that's what I thought the gospel did. But the gospel doesn't do an extreme makeover. The makeover is the result that the gospel does a takeover. God saves us. And now Jesus is our very life. And that wrath to come in Revelation 6 says... In that day, as the wrath of God is poured out, men and women will say, let the mountains fall on us. In that day, we would rather have a mountain fall on us than the wrath of God. So in this day, don't be given over. In this day, come to Christ who does the takeover. And then, instead of the wrath of God bringing insanity and idolatry, the grace of God will bring sanity and worship. Instead of suppressing the truth, you'll hunger for the truth. Instead of suppressing the truth, you'll, instead of a futile mind, you'll have a Berean, the noble mind, who received the word with eagerness. I can't wait to read it. I can't, who received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Instead of futile mind, noble mind, I love to hear God's word preached. I love to get into God's word. I don't want to suppress the truth. I want to know the truth because the truth is what sets me free. And I, not, I do not want the emptiness of idolatry and its insensibilities. Yes, yes, yes. I know, Pastor, we don't have little stone gods and, and wooden gods. Oh, no, no, we don't. We got sports. We've got homes. Promotions. We put our hope and that which is passing away. Instead of being able to use what is passing away to the glory of God so that whether you eat or drink, you don't worship food, you don't live to eat, you eat to live for Jesus. We don't live to drink, we drink to live for Jesus. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, we would do all to the glory of God. So come to Christ And if you want to put the culture of insanity and absurdity and imbecility to flight, go tell people Jesus loves them and will set them free and will give them a new heart and a new life because the grace of God has satisfied the wrath of God in Jesus to save sinners by the grace of God to the glory of God, now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you for the, just the privilege to uh, open up the word. And thank you for taking us places that we would not naturally go or normally go, but which we need to go because you can't know the amazing grace of God without knowing the emptiness of our sins and And the end of our sins, which is the wrath of God. Father, I want to just simply ask you this. May everyone here escape the wrath of the Lamb. Because this day they come.
to Christ for the blood of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. May in this day they come to you. And Jesus, for everyone here who now understands that the wrath of God is being revealed and that's what they were rescued from and that instead of being given over, you did a takeover, would you send them to tell others, please, that Jesus loves sinners and he doesn't do cosmetic surgery. He does heart transplants so that instead of suppressing truth, you hunger for it. Instead of the emptiness of idolatry, you know the joy of doing the one thing that God seeks, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not at the convenience of my schedule, but at the priority of my entire life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.